Hello, friends. Welcome to Season 6 of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Ariel may be Cedarville University's most proactive student ever. Today's conversation is about the letter she wrote to Cedarville in fourth grade. Here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and Happy New Year, everyone. I trust you had a meaningful and relaxing Christmas celebration and that you are excited to see what the Lord will be doing in your life and through you in 2022. This is the first podcast of the new year, and I think you are going to enjoy hearing the story of my guest today. But before I get to introducing her, let me take this opportunity to encourage you and your friends to subscribe to the Cedarville Stories podcast. This podcast continues to grow with new listeners every week, and for that, we are thankful to you. We are now beginning our sixth season of programs, and I wonder which podcast has been the most meaningful one for you. If you're willing, jot me a note at mweinstein at cedarville.edu and let me know what podcasts or podcasts have been your favorites this past year. I'd love to hear from you. For today's program, I'm talking with Ariel Wenig, a senior from Marion, Ohio, who is majoring in social work. I first met Ariel last year when she ran in the virtual U.S. Air Force Marathon with her dad, Brian. We'll talk about that story in today's program, but I also want to talk about her college decision and what prompted her to enroll here. It's a fascinating story, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. But for now, let me welcome to the podcast, Ariel Wenig. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So as a way to get the program started, Ariel, let's begin by hearing your thoughts as you enter your final semester as a student at Cedarville University. Are you excited? Is there a little fear because you don't know what's going to happen? Where are you in the emotional realm of facing your final semester? Uh, Yes, (laughs) a little bit of both, actually. Um, I'm really excited to see what the future holds and graduating, but I'm also really sad to see leaving my friends and my professors, but I'm really excited for what comes next. And what does come next? That's still to be decided. I'm hoping to get a job maybe in children's services when I graduate. So I'm definitely going to start looking for jobs around this time and um, hopefully something will come up. I'm sure something will. I remember when we spoke last year, uh, you were doing a story with a TV station in Ohio um, about running when you ran the marathon with your dad. And you told me at that point, you didn't know if you were going to go into a career right away or pursue grad school. Have you decided to, to go just to a career first? I am leaning more towards that now. What I'm, what made that uh, decision for you? Um, I really just want to see what it's like to work and not have to go to school. Yeah. Um, also, if I can work, then maybe get some experience. That way it'll uh, help in my master's program if I do end up doing that. Yeah. You couldn't make a bad decision. And there's pros and cons to go right into grad school or going to work. So uh, I look forward to seeing what you um, do after graduation. So um, again, as I talk to you, and I've got to know you just a little bit uh, over the last year, I, I know uh, your faith in Jesus is really important to you. Can you walk us through and share with us uh, your testimony, how you met Jesus? Sure. So um, I grew up in a Christian family. I've always learned about Jesus at home, Um, you know, just having Bible lessons, going to church. Uh, I believe it was when I was six years old when I um, accepted Christ into my life. Um, I remember sitting on the couch and my mom and dad 
um, helped me pray the prayer of salvation with mm-hmm. me. Um, it's really cool. That I still remember that, but I feel like I really changed my life and really felt like I was living like a Christian in sixth grade when I went to a conference called Dare to Share in Columbus. Oh yeah, and uh, I learned about how just important it is to share the gospel with people around me. And that day after the conference, I shared the gospel with someone in McDonald's. Really? So since then, it's been really important to me. And I just, I feel like that my life really changed that day. Yeah. Um, And then I got baptized a few years later. But since then, things have happened, some traumatic events that have just led to developing my faith and really growing stronger in my faith. So how has your four years or three and a half years at Cedarville uh, shaped your spiritual journey and actually helped you grow? So uh, Bible and the Gospel was a first semester class that I took, and um, I think that really influenced the way that I developed my faith here while at Cedarville. I've definitely learned that faith is something that you have to grow on your own with, right. and it's not your parents. And so right. um, that's been really, really good to go, uh, grow through. Definitely had some trials and ups and downs, but um, I feel like biblical integration is very important here and a very high priority, and I appreciate that in my classes, just learning the scripture that goes along with the coursework that we're doing, especially in social work. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, that's keen insight for someone as young as you to have those perspectives, and um, it's good to hear. And the way you first learned of Cedarville University back when you were in fourth grade, I believe, is quite unique. Uh, walk us through how you first learned of Cedarville University. Sure. So in fourth grade, we wrote letters to colleges just to practice our writing skills okay. and also just to learn about different colleges that we might be interested in. I thought, you know, I'll just look up a Christian college in Ohio. And Cedarville came up? Yes. Okay. So I thought, okay, we'll send a letter there. And had you, had you ever heard of Cedarville before then? I think I had... Um, like a few people here and there might have said something, so I think that's what caught my eye. Okay, so you picked Cedarville thanks to Google. Yes. Uh, how did the response that you received from Cedarville compare to responses of your classmates? A lot of my classmates, uh, they got a few things here and there, maybe a T-shirt, maybe a little booklet, maybe some pens. Uh, but when my box got there, it was like the biggest box out of everybody else's. Was it sent to you at home or at the school? At the school. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I was so excited to open it. <laughs> and there were 30 pens, three t-shirts, a water bottle, a pennant, and a booklet for how to find a college and also how to apply to one. So it's one thing to know that Cedarville sent you a lot of great swag, like the pencils and the t-shirts, the water bottle. But I'm really interested in diving down a little bit more into the booklet um, that communicated how students can apply for admission at Cedarville. Is it true that you actually used that booklet many years later to actually apply to enroll at Cedarville? Yes, I kept it in my closet because I knew I wouldn't need it for a while. And then uh, around freshman and sophomore year, uh, that's when it kind of starts to show you like the steps to prepare for college. Okay. So that's when I started looking at it and it helped me through that. When did the interest maybe in Cedarville take serious root? Was it really when you got the, the box or was it probably much later? It definitely started when I got the box and I had in my mind that I was always going to go to Cedarville, but it didn't really become reality until my second semester of my senior year in high school. Is that when you applied? 
I think, well, I applied October of my first semester of my senior year, and then I came to visit Cedarville second semester of high school. And that was your first time on campus? Yes. And what were your thoughts? I loved it. Chapel was amazing. Um, They played the song in Christ Alone, which is my favorite song. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is the school because I just felt like it was such an amazing experience. And I love the campus. Even though it was cold and snowing, it was a very frigid day. Still, just the atmosphere triumphed over that. The atmosphere was really warm in spite of the cold weather. Yes. And you should be used to cold weather living in Marion. But I still don't like it. <laughs> so now let me pivot a little bit in the in the program to you as a social work student. So you en- you enroll uh, three and a half years ago, and you're almost ready to graduate now. Uh, you've had several opportunities in the professional field as a student to learn more about social work. Uh, specifically, I want to pinpoint one time. That's when you were working at the Clark County Juvenile Court because it, I believe it really truly opened your eyes Uh, What did you learn from that experience? I think Clark County Juvenile Court has really taught me the importance of, I guess, just getting your hands dirty and really just reaching in and helping kids where they're at, where they're down, um, in the dumps, where they're at their lowest, um, talking with kids who are in detention, who are charged with something. Um, They're scared and they don't want this on their record. And so just working with them and giving them resources and services is really neat just to see how we can make an impact on them. What are, com- what are some of the traits that you believe are essential for a very good social worker? I think empathy is the main trait that I think is really useful for a social worker. Yeah. Even if you haven't experienced a situation that your client has been in, just reaching for feelings that yeah. are similar is very important so that your client feels like that they can trust you and talk with you. And along with that is listening. If you're not listening, then your client's not going to want to open up with you or even share any information. So I think more than saying the right words, it's just being there and listening. How do you think you learned those traits? Can you Do you recall any story or experience in your life where um, – you can point to like, this is where I, I really gained the, the sympathetic or the empathetic uh, heart toward the people or a good listening ear? Well, my mom always used to say, you need to listen before you speak. And she'd always say, Ariel, you need to be a good listener to your friends. And so I think that always stuck with me is that when someone's talking to me, I need to listen and not jump in to say what I want to say. Yeah. And also empathy. Um, I've just always felt the need to care about other people and to care about their needs more than jumping in and sharing my needs. So I think I've just really worked on my empathy yeah. for a while. And that's biblical. I mean, we're, we're, we're encouraged to be slow to speak, quick to hear. Mm-hmm. And so that's a biblical mandate you're following. Um, as a social worker, now you've, you've only dabbed your toes in, in the profession so you'll learn much more once you're doing this full time. But I have friends who work in social work. And I just know from hearing stories there and other places that it can be draining on the social worker. How? Because you're, you're, you're hearing all these tough stories. How are you able to not personalize it so you take it home yourself? Sure. So self-care is very important 
we learn that even in our classes, how to take care of ourselves uh, when things get stressful, how to, I guess, distance ourselves and just um, process through our emotions. Sometimes I just need to sit in my office and just think about things and process through emotions. But the most important thing that I've learned is that I can help my clients. And then when I leave work, I need to shut it off because I can't do anything when I go home. Right. So I need to be there for my friends and maybe someday for my family. And so I need to turn off my work area and turn on my home area. Right. Because you, you really can't be much help to anyone if you're not caring for yourself. Correct. Yeah. So what are some ways that you try to implement that protect you, that care for you? So um, I like to do a lot of self-care activities like coloring, watching The Office, <laughs> just, you know, uh, random things like that that I know will make me laugh or that'll just calm me down. Um, I listen to music on my way home from my internship. That way I can um, just think about things and process before I get onto campus. And that way I can yeah. um, be kind to my friends and yeah. uh, just have um, a good attitude about myself. Yeah, in normal relationship. That's that's fabulous. And uh, so important um, in our tough society that we live in to have that separation, to be able to um, just really prepare ourselves for whatever comes next. Now, from that time when you were working at the Clark County Juvenile Court, I heard a story, I believe it's true, that you actually wore a home arrest ankle <laughs> monitor for 24 hours. Uh, I believe it's true. So what was the purpose and what did you learn? I did do that. That is true. One day we had an ankle monitor training at my internship and um, I asked my coworker, I, I was thinking, how do kids dress cute with an ankle monitor on. I feel like it'd be hard to get those skinny jeans over that ankle monitor. Yeah. Um, and so my coworker, we were talking back and forth and we were like, well, let's just go ask this coworker and ask if I can wear one. And so sure enough, he said, sure, I can put one on you. We'll talk to the judge and see if we can do that. Um, and so it was about a month later with figuring out if I could do it or not. And then finally we decided, and I slipped that ankle monitor on, wore it from uh, Monday to Wednesday morning. Did they follow you? Did they monitor you? Or was there a report that was done because of it? Or what happened? So they monitored the ankle monitor, but um, I didn't get to see how it looked on the computer. I don't think they were like intently tracking me, but right. when I took it off, my coworker printed off, it seemed like every minute of where I was. And so there was a stack, a really big stack of papers that showed where I was, what I, um, the area I was in. He printed off some maps. Um, it was funny, my coworker said, what were you doing in the woods? And I looked at it and I thought, what is that? Oh, I went hiking. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting to see um, how the ankle monitor picks up yeah. places that you are. Yeah. Um, it was a really interesting experience. Yeah. I got a few looks, uh, a couple of questions. Most of my friends knew about it. So it's noticeable to, to anyone. Yes. It's a big black uh, box on the side of your ankle. Okay. So um, obviously there's a fun element to this, but there's really a serious learning lesson. 
what did you learn from this? And and sure. and, and and once you learned, how will that help you with being a great social worker? So I learned that it is hard to dress cute with the ankle monitor. I couldn't fit my jeans over it. Um, so I had to wear a dress and leggings. Did you wear a dress in the woods hiking? <laughs> no. Um, I just wore athletic pants. Okay. Um, it kind of hurt my ankle, so I had to wear some socks under it. Yeah. Um, but there were definitely some stairs and some people looking. Uh, campus security actually saw it. And Did they? they apparently one grabbed the other and said, does she have a monitor on? So... I know it was weird having it here, so I just think of, you know, when my clients go places, um, if they get to go to a store or something, um, they're obviously going to get some looks. I know it is part of a punishment to have that on there. It is. Um, But still, it can be hard because I know one of my clients got made fun of at school, and it was hard for him to fit in school there. So I definitely develop more empathy for my clients dealing with that and... Um, I can't say that I would want to wear one again. <laughs> yeah, that's a great lesson to learn at an early age in your profession. And uh, it definitely gives you the opportunity to see maybe clients' worlds from their perspective by wearing a, a, brace, a monitor, right? Right. Yeah. So um, in our final few minutes in the podcast, um, you know, I know recently you, as I said in the introduction, you ran the virtual U.S., U.S. Air Force Marathon. It was supposed to be real, but it because of COVID, it went to virtual. Right. Um, and you ran it with your dad, which made it even extra special. Um, and, and I should say for our listeners, so uh, Ariel's dad, it was for his 60th birthday, and he's been d- diagnosed with Parkinson's. So with all that knowing, it was important for him too. Uh, wh- how meaningful was it for you to run this marathon with, with your dad? It was so important. We've been planning for this for years, actually, um, always thinking that we would run a marathon when he turned 60. And then just to get the news that he had Parkinson's. Yeah. When was, did that news come? When how, how long ago did he get that diagnosis? It was around uh, April, May of 2021. Okay, so just before he was running. Just, yeah, before the marathon. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. So continue. Um, what was it like for you and him to compete this, compete in this uh, run? It was like a victory to be able to overcome that, yeah. his Parkinson's diagnosis. I didn't think that we would be able to do it after that. And especially after they made the race virtual, it just seemed like, what's the point now? But it was even better being able to run it at home because all of our family was there to support us. We had friends that we didn't even know right. who were going to be there. Um, we had a finish line at my dad's uh, work. So it was just really neat to see yeah. how the Lord worked through that, yeah. how he had a better plan than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. Now, also, if I remember the story correctly, I mean, you didn't run continuously because you, you made a few stops, I think. Didn't you stop like at your grandmother's house? Right. We we stopped halfway. Uh, my grandmother had some drinks set out there. We were able to use the bathroom there. So it was a perfect stop. Um, and then we stopped a few times to refill our Gatorade packs. So you really didn't care. Really, the, the time was really meaningless to you. It was really just the experience of running this with your dad. For sure. We did not have 
any care for the time. Yeah. And um, the reason why I know about this story is uh, you, you did a um, interview. There was a story about this on um, a statewide TV station. And at that interview, I over, overheard you say that uh, you're probably not going to run again a, a marathon. Is, is that still true? That is still true. I think one is enough. <laughs> and what about your dad? That is enough for him too. I think he, well, he's still running. He runs a lot. He actually runs more than I do still. He's trying to tell me to keep running. So thinking back to the day, well, before you got to the, the day of the, of the run, um, there was a little bit of disappointment in, in you guys because you're, you were training that it was going to be a real run here in Dayton at the Air Force. And then you got the news that it's going to be virtual. How did you respond to, the, to that news? We got an email, and I saw it before my dad saw it. And I was more disappointed for him than myself because I feel like this was a really big event for him. And I just, I felt like his supporter. And I was really nervous for him to see that. Um, I thought he would be really disappointed. And it was hard for him at first. But the more that we kind of, understood it we saw it coming together a little bit more and then officially on race day we yeah. saw how amazing it was and one of the ma amazing parts of it the benefits as i think i heard is more people more friends more family could actually watch and support you during the run correct right that made all the difference um there were signs made there was a snack stand at the end of our marathon uh, everything just came together so nicely, and it was just really neat to see our family and friends support us. So uh, running has been something uh, constant in your family. Your dad has run for quite a long time. Yes. And you're obviously much younger, but you've run for a little bit, um, not nearly as much as him. Um, but I remember seeing a photo of your dad running with you when you were, what, two or three or maybe four? I think I was around three years old. Um, what was that? run about do you recall that or do you just remember it in pictures i think i remember it more in a vhs tape okay watching it with him um we did a fun run together after he did a 5k and that image has been in my mind um since i could remember just thinking about how dad wanted to run a marathon yeah and someday i would do that with him and now you've done it uh so maybe your social work uh, abilities uh, kicked in here, but how have you been able to encourage him uh, in his journey with Parkinson's? I think just sending him scripture has been good to to help him. I think also just being there, sure. available when sure. he is having a bad day and just encouraging him. Yeah, It's different being at school and not being able to be at home, but when I am at home, and running with him, he said that's encouraging to him. That's great. So my final question about the race or the run is, if you could take away one aha moment, what would it be? I think the big moment was probably just finishing the, the whole race, crossing the finish line. Together. Yes. Holding hands, putting our hands in the air. We did it. It was... It was just such a neat experience to see all my friends and family around. Yeah. And 
they're just cheering us on and to say we actually did it in past tense. We don't have to talk about doing a marathon in the future. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's a, a memory that you'll always have and he'll always have. And uh, so that's that's really special. So yes. thanks for sharing it with our with our listeners. Ariel, Ariel, my, my time really is up, but I have one final question for you. And that is at the core of the Cedarville Stories podcast, our purpose is to tell Cedarville stories for God's glory. How are you how are you bringing God glory in your life, through your life? I think just trying to emulate who Jesus is and trying to walk like him. I think that's my goal as a social worker is to be Jesus to those around me. We're not able to explicitly share the gospel with our clients. And even um, when I'm with my friends and family, I try to just walk like he did. Great, great response. And thanks for reaching out to Cedarville as a fourth grader because it led you to Cedarville as an adult, as a college student. And it's a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. And uh, it's my honor to have you on the podcast this week. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.